Good stuff this morning. Wonderful. <clears throat> Wonderful worship. And um, see if we're going to see how old some of you are today. And uh, oh my gosh. You know, <clears throat> I asked Brother Ted and his wife if they got dressed in the dark this morning. <clears throat> and uh, then he showed me his shoes. And so, anyway, I think, I think that's room for, uh, you know, excommunication, I believe, somewhere. But... but we probably deserve that. I probably do deserve that. And so... Um, um, congratulations to the Browns. And um, um, how many Super Bowls have they played in? I can't remember. <clears throat> good fun, good fun. Where was I? Yes. So see if you can fill this in. Did I do that? Yes, Mr. Steve Urkel, Family Matters. And um, there was a time where there were normal family shows with normal family issues. And, um, uh, of course, our enemy, Satan, he hates the family. He hates people in general because we are made in the image of God. And we were God's idea. The family was God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. It's God's idea. And in our society today, there's an attack on the family. And there's an attack on what morality is. Um, now, if you were just, tr just truthful and looking on how you decide what is right and what is wrong, how do you decide that? And and as we are in this series, and we're going we're gonna to focus in on families, we're going to focus in on marriage, we're going to end up focusing on how we treat and raise children. So um, there's a lot that we can grasp and we can look at here. But there's no, no mistake that our media and the shows in which we watch shape as a whole in the United States as, as a people, and not just the people, but in the world, shape a lot of morality in what people believe to be what is right and what is wrong. Now, as Christians, as believers, and we are Bible-believing Christians, and we believe that we get our morality from God, and that God tells us what is right and what is wrong. And, and so I want us to start off here this morning, though, this week in this series, starting off with um, what are some of the marriage essentials? Now, maybe you're here and you're single. Maybe um, you're single and there is in the Bible a gift of singleness. God does give that to some people. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe you're here and you're young and you're not married yet. <clears throat> and you're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And you're looking for that person. Maybe you're here and you're older and you're, whatever age you are, you're divorced or you're older and your spouse has passed away. And you may think, well, this message is not for me this morning. But what we're going to look at here in Colossians chapter 3 is a message for all Christians, for all believers that we can apply in our lives. Now, yes, some of this will be marriage specific for sure. But we can take something from God's word and it greatly, greatly 
help us. So in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12, we see the Bible give us, give us some help when it comes to our relationships, even with Browns fans. <laughs> and since God chose you to be his holy, the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercies. And notice this, you must clothe yourself. This is talking about spiritual clothes. This is talking about our actions and what we do and how we live and how we love and how we help and how we serve. This is something that when you got up this morning, you clothed yourself. It was something you did. And so this is not about somebody else. This is about what you were doing, how you were clothing yourself, and, uh, and it's something you must make a decision to do. And so with tenderhearted mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you, you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, I'm skipping 18, 19, and 20 because I'm going to be preaching on that here in the next couple of weeks as well. Or excuse me, I'm not skipping 18, I'm skipping the 20. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And then verse 23 and 24, work willingly at whatever you do, and as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that your master you are serving is Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful that you um, are long-suffering, and that you are patient, and you are kind with us. Forgive us where we fail you. Help us in our marriages. Help us in our relationships with the people that we love. Right now, one may be struggling with a relationship with a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a coworker or their spouse. And God, I pray and I believe that your Holy Spirit will use this message to help speak into our lives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So usually, if I open up with a joke, I'm telling a joke for one of two reasons. One, the joke goes with the message, all right, which I have one here for you for a second, in a second. Or two, it's a big day. Last, wasn't the last week wonderful? It was great, man. We had two baptisms. We just had, we had barbecue. We had opening day football. And we had some great time of fellowship. It was a wonderful, wonderful week. And sometimes I'll just tell a joke because I want new people to feel a little bit comfortable. And sometimes you get people to laugh, it makes them feel comfortable. But this joke has to go with my message, all right? So um, here, here's, 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 here's the joke. There was a lady named Jill. And weeks before Jill's wedding, she was very nervous, and she was uncertain whether she would walk down the aisle. And so she's telling the pastor this, and the pastor um, says, to, uh, says to her, um, don't worry, 
um, we, we will simplify, I'll simplify it for you. All you have to remember is when you enter the church is that you walk down the aisle. The groom and the best man will be waiting before the altar. And then <clears throat> I'll ask the congregation to sing a hymn. And then we will go on with the ceremony. And all you have to remember is the aisle, okay, the altar, and the hymn. And so she's a little more relieved. So she's like, okay, I can, I can do that. And so the day of the wedding, she is dressed in white, looking beautiful. Uh, the people from the church and her family are there, and it is a packed church, and she's walking down the aisle. And everyone starts to snicker as she comes down the middle aisle because she keeps repeating what the pastor told her to remember. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Anyway. So how, how do we have a good marriage? And with different people from different backgrounds in here, some of you came from a broken home, right? And maybe there's been some good examples of that. It always comes with us challenges. Some of you may have gone through a divorce. Some of you have been married a long time. Some of you have been married a long time, but there's still issues and problems you've had to deal with. Maybe there's been times where you didn't like each other in your, in your marriage. You loved each other, but you didn't always like each other. And I think everyone goes through that period of time. And I always heard, I always heard um, especially my wife and I, we've been married 20 years. We've been married 21 years in January. And so we've been together, yeah, I think, 23 or 24 years total. We count dating and everything. And um, uh, I always heard, though, that you would love, that many end up loving their spouse more than when they first met them. I thought, that sounds a little weird, but it's true. And your love for one another, it changes in that it should deepen. Now, maybe that's not where you're at right now in your marriage. And you're possibly wondering why, or maybe you do know why, and you're struggling. You're, you're struggling, and, and, you know, some will say when it comes to having a good marriage, and I always love seeing the people who've been married 40, 50, 60 years, and how did you do it? How'd you go about it? Some will say that you need to be friends. It's not bad advice. Don't go to bed angry, okay? Never argue. That's, that's no fun. <laughs> Stay committed, no matter what. But is commitment enough? And what do you do when, when you're committed to your spouse, but your spouse isn't? And then you throw kids into the picture, and things can get crazy really, really quick. And so understanding God's purpose for marriage is, is important and critical, really, for us to have a godly marriage. God created marriage to be a covenant agreement between two people a man and a woman, and himself. You notice that part? Not just a man and a woman, but himself, an agreement. It was his idea. And in the past, being a pastor for a while now, and I've heard Christian people say this ignorantly. They didn't mean it to be mean or anything like that, or to downplay marriage, but they would say marriage is really just a piece of paper. Well, my friend, why legally, yes, but in God's, in the spiritual realm, in God's kingdom, and that which we're a part of, right, the church is a part of the kingdom of God, 
Where is the kingdom of God? Any place where Christ is, any heart where Christ is king. In the kingdom of God, it is deeply, deeply spiritual. In the kingdom of God, marriage is symbolic. In fact, it's symbolic of Jesus Christ and the church. In fact, symbolic in this way is that the husband in the relationship is symbolic of Christ. And that the female, the wife, is symbolic of the church. Now, when you think about that and you think a little deeper of what that means, what did Christ do for his church? Well, he bled and died and sacrificed himself for his church. He loved it. And so symbolically, men, Scripture is showing us and telling us that we should love our families, that we should sacrifice for our families, and that we should do whatever we need to do for our families and for that spouse that we have. Now, we have three children, and I love my children, but my wife comes first before my children. And so, oh, wait a second, I can't do that. I love my, I love my children as well. I would risk my life. I would give my life for my children, no question. But God expects me to keep that relationship with my wife going. Now, some have experienced this, is that as your kids get older and um, they start to go out on their own, they get more independent, eventually they meet someone special and they get married and they leave your home. And some couples end up looking at each other of like, oh, who are you? We raised these kids, we knew each other while we were dating, we knew each other while we had that first kid, and then the second kid came and the third kid came, and then we were just kind of trying to figure things out and we had soccer practice and basketball and this and that. And you never really took time to date. You never really took time to do anything fun together. And then suddenly the kids are gone and you're looking at one another like, oh, who are you? Oh, what do you like? Uh, what's your name again? Like, <clears throat> and I get it. But that's not how it should be. You need to take time. Take time to date. Take time to spend time with one another. Because <clears throat> eventually, the children will leave. And if you haven't developed that relationship through the years, it's going to show. And there's some difficulty there. There really is. And so I want to encourage you that whether if you're not married and you're young or you, right now you have kids, is find that babysitter. Make that investment in your marriage and um, take time to do so. See, as a husband and wife, the couple is united by God as one flesh, both legally and spiritually. It's a three-way union with God at the center, forms a foundation in which you build a godly marriage. I've heard it said is that God's purpose for marriage, um, and man, we, we in life, we we pursue happiness. Who doesn't want to be happy? We all do. But sometimes people get into marriage thinking, okay, this will make me happy. And it may for a time. And what's interesting about marriage is that what we can do with anything that God has designed, because we're flesh, because we're not perfect, because we're, we're sinners, right? Until we get to heaven, we're going to deal with this subject of sin and this battle of sin is that sometimes you will look at somebody and go, if I can just find Mr. Right, if I can just find Mrs. Right, then they will fulfill me 100%. 
and it's all going to be, you know, fields of lollipops and sunflowers, and we'll have it all figured out, and it will go smoothly, and nothing's going to get in our way. Then you marry somebody, and there's little quirks that you thought were cute, you want to now strangle them for. (laughs) There are certain things they do that annoy you, you know? You know what they say? They say opposites attract, and then they attack. Yeah. God does that. You ever know sometimes God will put a neat freak with a swab or a free spirit? He does that. And I think God does that on purpose because there's probably some things a neat freak needs to just chill out on. And there are some things that kind of the person who's a little kind of messy, they need to straighten their act up a little bit on. And God kind of uses each, each other to kind of sharpen one another and help one another. And uh, marriage, marriage is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Besides my salvation, really, besides accepting Christ, making that decision, the second most important decision you will ever make is who you marry. It is. Not your job. That's like third, fourth, whatever, fifth on the list. It's who you marry. And it said, you know, some say 80% of your happiness, 90%, I don't know, but a great percentage of your happiness will really be affected on who you marry. And that's so true. It's so true. You know, a saying I don't really like, and we laugh at it, and I get why we laugh at it, is that if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. There's, there's truth to that, right? But there's also a limit to it. There really is, because, man, if you're not happy in your marriage, that's an issue. There's a reason, and you need to take a look at that, because, yes, you want that wife happy, no question, but a godly woman will also make sure her husband's happy. A godly woman will go, okay, what does he need? And what we're going to see here in this passage, and also in Ephesians, is that we, together as couples, are called to submit one to another. Now, we hear that word submit, and sometimes, especially as, you know, um, as, as Baptists or as, you know, red-blooded Americans, we hear submit, and we're like, we don't, we don't do that. We don't surrender, and we don't submit. Like, I'll listen to anything else you have to say. But really, take that word submit, and what does it truly mean? It means respect. It means respect. And God has called us to respect one another. And so, God has given us this helpmate, not always necessarily to make us happy, but to make us holy. Oh, great preacher. You're telling me I can be holy, but not happy. No, no, no. I'm saying when you pursue happiness and not holiness, you're going to miss out on both. But when you pursue holiness in in your marriage, you're going to find both. Are you following me? I'm going to say it again because that's important. When you're just pursuing happiness in your marriage, you're not going to be eventually happy, maybe temporarily, you're not going to be happy and you're not going to be holy. But when you pursue holiness, you're going to find happiness and you're going to find holiness. And that's maybe one of the purposes, I believe, of marriage. To help you. They say that 
as you were married to somebody that you're not married to the same person as when you first met them. And you know what? That's true. I'm not the same person I was that my wife married. Now, that can be good or bad, right? But through life experiences, through having children, and she's also not the same person I married. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, I met her when she was 18 years old. I'm glad she's not 18 years old. She was 19. No, she, was, oh, she just turned 20 when we, uh, when we ended up getting married, which is a little weird to think about. I'm only three years older than her, by the way, okay? So, so I, wasn't, I wasn't much older. But I'm glad I wasn't, I'm not 23 and think like a 23-year-old today. Now, you're at 23 and you're like, but I'm, I'm mature. And I listen, there's a lot of things I thought I knew at 23 as well. And then the older you get, you realize the less that you know about certain things and the more you need God's help. And then you get, even, as you get into your 40s, you're like, man, I really, really need God's help. And um, we all are different stages. And each stage in life has its pluses and minuses. What's interesting enough, and you've probably heard this said before, is that 50% of the marriages end in divorce, even the Christian ones. And that is one of those statistics that you hear in the church world that's hard to kill because it's, it's actually false. This, this, what, what it truly is is this, is that those who just attend church on a semi-regular basis the divorce rate is around 30%. Those who are involved, those who serve, those who give financially, it knows dives even further. It does. And so when you have Christ in the middle of your marriage, when you have God in the middle of your marriage, it changes things. Because the number one person in your life that you're focusing on making happy isn't actually, should not be your spouse, biblically. It should be God. Your spouse is number two. God is number one. And when you say, I want to love my spouse because one, the Bible tells me to, God told me to, and I want to serve and I want to love the Lord, I realize I need to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. And wives realize I need to submit and show respect to my husband. In fact, by the way, ladies, if you want to know how men spell love, they spell it respect. That's how they spell it. They don't spell it the same way you do. And God made us equal in value, but separate in roles. Sure, there's roles. There's certain things we do that crisscross, no question. It's not a matter of um, intelligence. I mean, I met some of you. Oh, your wives are definitely, anyway, I'm not going to go there. I'm just teasing. <laughs> a wise man always marries up, amen, right? A wise man always marries up. You guys, if we were to be honest, like we look at each other and we're like, why do, why do women even like us? Like, we're not much to look at. I mean, if you're born with an ugly face, you're just born with an ugly face. You can grow a beard. You can't really put makeup on. There's not much you can do. You can you maybe change your clothes a little bit, maybe, right? Uh, I don't know. But um, we're just thankful women like us and that uh, we get married. Amen? Men, right? Uh, yeah, amen. Or I, I, I don't know. You know, I could go on, but I won't. All right, so... I'm probably only getting halfway through this message today, by the way. So if you're wondering, he didn't finish today. I kind of knew I wasn't. I actually told um, Brother Jim, like, I don't think I'm getting through today. I think I'm going halfway because I just, I know myself. 
And on this subject, I get talking and I start adding things into my message as I go. But with that said, when Christ is the center of our marriages in the church, yet yeah, sure, there are people who get divorced. And by the way, if you've been divorced, we love you. We do. We're not here to judge you. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was both. I, I don't know. But I do know that the Lord forgives. I do know that biblically, like the Lord, Jesus talked about divorce. He, God doesn't want divorce. He doesn't like divorce because he knows the pain and the hurt that it causes. And some of you have been through some of that pain and hurt. Um, but there can be reasons, biblical reasons for divorce. We see that. And I think as a church, you know, we need to be careful in how we judge people and look at people if we hear their divorce. We don't know. We don't know the subject. We don't know. What should you do? Love them. That's the best thing you can do. And, um, and so if you're divorced and you're here, I just want you to know we love you. All right? We do. If you're watching, we, we love you. We care about you. And um, whatever your situation is, the Lord knows, and he's not done with you yet. <clears throat> All right. So what does the Bible ha say about having a good marriage? A strong marriage that pleases the Lord. Here's number one. We finally got to it. Number one. Commit yourself to the Lord first, then your spouse. It sounds simple, but not everyone does it. The Bible tells us that with your family, with your mother and father, that you should honor your mother and father, no question. But when you leave your mother and father and you cleave to your wife or you cleave to your husband, you're starting a new family. You're leaving the one you had. It's not that you're leaving them or that you're not part of the general family, but you're, you're starting your own family. And husbands, your commitment should be, yes, to the Lord first, but then to your mama, that's not what it says, to your spouse. And I'll gently say this, man, men, by all means, love your mama. But if your mom, your mother's in the middle of your marriage, your mother needs to take a different seat. Amen, preacher. Some of you are looking at my mother-in-law here right now. Like, where is she at? <laughs> Same with a father. You're in the wrong seat. Because my wife and I are sitting together in a spiritual sense, okay? There's no room for anyone else in the middle. No room for the children in the middle between us. There's no room for a mama or a daddy or aunt or uncle or whoever raised you in the middle between you and your wife. Non-negotiable. Period. Non-negotiable. And that offends sometimes people. But as a man leading your newly formed family, um, you need to realize that. It takes time for them to start a new family. They're not going to have it all figured out. And so Try to mind your own business at times is very, very helpful. But notice this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you should commit yourself to your spouse, hear me out, but to the Lord. Oh, preacher, are you saying I shouldn't be committed to my spouse? Not what I'm saying. But notice this. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. And your plans will succeed. Psalms 37, verse 5 through 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and justice of your cause like the noonday sun. 
You see, a strong Christian marriage is not built upon the commitment of two people that they have to each other. A strong Christian marriage is built upon the commitment the husband and wife have to God. That's what it's built on. And so as as you focus on God together, imagine there's a triangle. Husband's here, the wife is here, and God is on top. That as your commitment to God, and the closer you, be, you, you, you come to the Lord, and as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you grow in your relationship with one another. The Bible's clear that when it comes to marriage, it doesn't mention, doesn't mention as far as who you should marry when it comes to race or nationality. It doesn't. You may have your preferences. That's fine. People have preferences. But what it is very, very clear on is this, is that Christians marry Christians, period. Do not be unequally yoked. If you're looking for a spouse, and I'm giving some free advice if you're not married here, okay? So if you're not married here, whether you want it or not, that's what preachers do sometimes, and dads, we just give advice whether you want it or not, that you'll, you'll marry who you date. And so have some parameters of who you're going to date. Just don't date someone because, well, he's good looking or she's beautiful. I, I, I get it. Those are something that might turn your, turn your eye, right? But do they love the Lord? Do they love Jesus? Do they go to church faithfully? And if they're not doing those things and they say they're a Christian, well, their actions aren't matching up with their belief. Is that the kind of marriage you want to go into? Someone whose their actions don't match up with their beliefs? You may run into some other issues. But if their actions match up with their beliefs, you're not going to find Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect, right? But you find someone who loves Jesus just as much or more than what you love Jesus, and you pursue God together, and that's, that's something beautiful and wonderful and a gift. The Bible says, man, who finds a wife finds a good thing. You can have that. There's some, they're waiting for the right one or the perfect match. Um, and some of this really comes from Hollywood. That if I can just find that one person, that soulmate, that is just right for me. Um, we, we've, we've heard that. And many people believe that. Now, um, there, there are some who they believe in love and first sight. Maybe that's what you experience. Wonderful. Great. But when it comes to who is the right mate for you, the right spouse for you, and you maybe met that person and you go, but, but man, I thought this person was the perfect one. Like we just matched up, like we, we did the whole internet thing on match.com and we matched up in all of our things. And, and yes, um, but this is, this is what I've seen. Is that when someone expects someone to fulfill them 100%, they are always disappointed. Because at most, at best, the person in which you end up finding at most will fulfill you about 80%. Which is great. 80%. But at the end of the day, there's that 20%. That's on you. That you have to figure out. That you have to live with you. 
You're the one looking into the mirror at you. And there's some things you have to figure out on your own a little bit. And so you're not going to find that one person who is only set aside for you. Oh, man, I don't like where this message is going now. More than likely, there's more than one person. Biblically, biblically, who is that soulmate? Biblically, the one you marry. The one you marry. You see, back, back in biblical times, there's a chance you may not have known the person you were marrying. Now, small communities, they more than likely knew each other. And not to try to be funny, but there was things they would do. Sometimes the, there would be a dowry and the, the future wife would have, you know, gold coins or silver coins. Or sometimes she came with uh, some cattle or goats or whatever. And, um, and, and so sometimes we, you know, make jokes about that. But, but that's what happened. And there were some arranged marriages. And, and uh, so in, in biblical times... It's almost the opposite of what we have today. Today, you start dating them, then you get serious, and you're like, oh, I love him, or I love her. You know what? We should get married. And so you start getting married. But biblical times, it was like, there was like, okay, you're getting married. Hey, how are you? Um, what's your name? Um, and you, you get their name, and you get married, and you fall in love in the marriage. The preacher, I don't like that one. I don't either. Who wants their parents picking out a spouse for them? I'm glad we changed that. But biblically, the one is the one you're married to. Some of you are married right now in the back of your mind because you, it just kind of seeped in through movies and shows in which we watch. You think, I'm not married to the one. I'm not married to the one. I missed out some way along the way. I missed out on that one. I need to trade this one in, and I need to go find the one. You're not. The one biblically you're supposed to be married to is the one you're married to. Simple as that. And God has called us to be committed to him. You see, what happens is when couples start dating each other, they start dating each other for a number of different factors. Physical attraction, the way they look, fair enough. Common interest, music, movies, art. Um, and values are so, so important. You share similar values. You know, in, in, in marriage, you can have different likes. My, I love sports. My wife doesn't like sports. You know, when they score a basket, she's like, touchdown, you know, but Okay. <laughs> I'm going to hear about that later. She does know enough about sports. That's not the case. I'm teasing a little bit, okay. But sports are not her thing, which is true. So, well, man, how, we don't have those common interests. What, what in the world? But we share similar values. There are things we do like. There are things we do share. But what happens, though, is that we're drawn to each other, usually when you get into a relationship, because we make each other feel good about ourselves. And who doesn't want to feel good about themselves? And, and there's a, a, a technical scientific term for this. It's called um, the warm fuzzies. That's what it's called. <laughs> but when a couple gets married over time, even in the best of marriages, a husband and wife can get to a point where they don't always feel good 
about each other anymore. They get irritated with one another. They begin to argue over all kinds of different little issues. What happens? They start to take each other for granted. And they think to themselves, well, if I can find someone who would just fulfill me 100%, but they're only meeting that 80, my man, they're missing out on that 20, and this is what happens. We end up trading that 20%, and usually what happens, we end up getting 60%. And we go, man, I, I, thought, I, thought, I, I thought I was going to have a, a better trade. The bond that once held them together isn't there now because they've fallen out of the habit of giving each other the warm fuzzies. And when the breakdown in the relationship occurs, it's hard to talk about commitment. They don't see the sense of committing to someone who has become undependable and that they thought they could trust and depend on until death do us part. And I believe that's why we can't find any place in the Bible that talked about husbands and wives committing themselves primarily to their spouse out of commitment, rather that our commitment first is to the Lord. And yes, we're committed to our spouse because we're committed to the Lord. And we see this in Hollywood. And see, in Hollywood, love has become a noun rather than a verb. Um, It seems like you always have a couple that pops up that they're married for a long time. I think um, um, oh, there was just uh, the guy who played Wolverine. Anyway, he's getting divorced from his wife after 25 years. Then you hear another couple getting divorced. And it's always like a statement that's very vague, that doesn't always make any sense. Like here's one statement from a, from one, a young couple that was in Hollywood. It, they said that love is a beautiful adventure that is taking us on different paths now. Absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love one another. What? If it hasn't changed, why are you getting a divorce? I don't even know you, but that sounds like some baloney to me. And we often forget that the magnitude of our love should change throughout the years as we grow in our depth and commitment to one to another. And the same should be true in our relationship with God as well. Here's number two. And I'll kind of, I think I said this before in another series, but... When it comes to your marriage, and maybe you're at a place where you don't even like your spouse right now. Like preacher, I don't, I don't, I'll put up with them until the kids get out of the house and I'm gone. But they haven't done anything necessary for me to biblically to leave them. Now, biblically, we see there are reasons for divorce at times. What should I do? And unfortunately, most of the time when people come to me in marriage counseling, it's, it's almost like, you know what, we've tried everyone else. Let's try the preacher now. I'm just being truthful. This is what I would tell you. And someone needs to hear this right now. Right actions eventually, over time, lead to the right feelings. Right actions lead to the right feelings. That includes your relationship with the Lord, but especially that relationship with your spouse. And maybe right now, you don't really like each other. What should you do? 
without no doubt there's probably more to unpack on what do you do you say well i don't want to do anything good for them let me ask you this are you committed to the lord if your answer is yes then be a man of god be a woman of god and there's some changes you need to end up making there needs to be some forgiveness there needs to be some moving on there may be some things you need to sit down and together out of love work through and talk through without yelling there is a right way to argue and discuss and there is a wrong way to do it some of you maybe grew up in a home where there was a lot of the wrong way and you've had to learn or maybe you need to start learning on how to do it the proper way the godly way the christ-like way there's there's a time for that and there are some believers who in their marriage one of your issues is you never argue and discuss so you just bury 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 and bury the issue and you sweep it underneath the rug until you have a heaping pile under the rug and it just explodes that's not good either Here's number two. As I told you, we're not getting to seven. <laughs> Focus on being the right kind of mate. Notice verse 12 here in this passage in Colossians 3. Since God chose you to be a holy people, he loves you. You must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This isn't just for marriage. This is for every single believer in here, that we as believers, we as Christians, in our relationships with those around us that we love and we care about, we've clothed ourselves with these things and how we act and in what we do. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are times where some of us, we, we treat strangers better than we treat our spouse. We'll be kinder and nicer and more patient with people we don't even know. But yet, we don't show any of that mercy and grace and tenderheartedness with the people closest to us. And that, that has to change. You see, my friend, you cannot control as much as you might try. You cannot control the actions of your spouse. But what you can control, what you can do, is make sure that you're being the right kind of spouse. Barnett Brichter said this, success, uh, su success in marriage does not come merely through finding the right mate, but through being the right mate. And being married almost 21 years, that is right on the money. Right on the money. There's times in our marriage where I wasn't the right kind of mate. My wife was. There's times where I was the right kind of mate, and when my wife usually is, she just is. <laughs> but you can't make them change. You can pray for them, you can love them. And there's some things you have to go, God, I'm going to do my part. And God, I'm going to let you do yours. People tend to change for a couple different reasons. You know the number one reason I see people change oftentimes? I heard a pastor say this once. He says, people, most of the time people don't really change because they see the light. 
They change because they feel the heat. My man, that's good. That's true for our marriages. That's true for people who, when they repent of their sins, they go, God, I'm getting right with you. I'm accepting Christ as my Savior. I'm putting away the old things I was doing. God, I need your help. Why do they often do that? It's not because they see the light usually. It's because they feel the heat. They realize there really is a heaven. There really is a hell. There really was a Savior who... uh, died for our sins and is alive and waiting for us and coming back again and they look around this crazy world and they go i feel the heat and maybe that's where you're at right now you see maybe right now you need to put on tender mercies and have compassion and mercy with your spouse kindness of showing kindness to your spouse humility is the opposite of pride Let me ask you this. Do you always have to be right in your marriage? You might be right. But this is what we have a tendency to do. We we see this even in social media. People who love to argue and waste their time. Or even face-to-face. Is that we're so focused on winning the argument that we lose the person. Man, you were right. You proved your point. You whipped out the, you know, five, six points of why you were right, and you showed them. But you were a jerk in the process, and you damaged your marriage in the process. You may have won the argument, but you lost the person. So humility goes a long way. It goes a long way. And sometimes when we're so focused on being right, we cease to value our wife's or husband's opinion about a matter. Men, can I tell you this? God deals with us and speaks to us in his own way. One, his word is very obvious. Sometimes we're looking for a word from the Lord. Like, well, God, I know your word, and, and the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Bible we're going, you know, I just, I just, whether it's a prompting in our, our spirit of the Lord leading us. But this is what I found as well, is that God will use the people closest to you who love you to do that as well. And neither spouse is always right, that's true. A spouse, your wife can be wrong, true. But God will use that sweet lady he's put in your life. And whether she realizes it or not, sometimes the Lord will speak through your spouse into a situation. And you'd be wise, very wise, to take into consideration what your wife has to tell you. It'll save you a lot of heartache, a lot of hurt, and maybe even a lot of money financially. There's meekness. Man, when we hear meekness, we think of weakness. Moses was called the meekest man ever to live. You know what meekness is? Imagine maybe on ESPN you see some of those strong men, they'll deadlift a thousand pounds or they'll squat a thousand pounds. These guys are huge and they're big and they're strong. What is meekness? This is a picture of meekness. 
You take a strong man who can lift a thousand pounds, and yet he can hold a baby. The strong man did not lose his strength. He did not cease to be strong any longer. But meekness is just that. It is strength under control. And men, the greatest thing you can be, Moses being the meekest man ever to live, is a strong man that has a strength under control. That his strength can be used when it needs to be used, but is meek and humble and gentle in a way that can hold a baby and show love. God has called us to it. But pastor, pastor, I get angry about something and I just fly right off the handle. I can't help it. The kids aggravate me. I worked all day. I come home and you know what? Uh, uh, The the kitchen was dirty or this was going on or my wife said something that aggravated me. I just need some more time or, and you just fly off the handle. It's time to put on meekness. Preacher, I'm having a hard time with that. Let me ask you this, men. Our default emotion is anger. And what I've found and noticed with men is this. Is a default, the default emotion for a man is anger. And God made us that way, by the way, and there's a reason for it. But when you're always flying off the handle, where anger is always your first response, The situation that is in front of you is not actually what you're angry about. There's something else you're angry about. And men, until you deal with that, until you deal with it, it's going to be a cancer in your relationships. It's going to be a cancer in your marriage. I've seen it. I've counseled it way too many times when it comes to anger. It could be anger with your parent. Your father, your mother, a brother, a sister, a job situation, or something that happened to you when you were a kid. There's some anger. There's something that fires you up. And man, anytime, anytime there's an issue in which you can easily get angry about, it just, it roars. So what are you truly angry about? I want to encourage you to be truthful. Seek some counseling. Come see me this week. Seek a Christian friend, a mentor, an older brother or sister in Christ. There's some here that, I, trust me, would love to talk with you, have been in your shoes before. We all have been there at one point in time. You see, why is this so important? This is what Jesus said. He said, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If Jesus said that's what he is, and God's word has challenged us to be more like Christ, and that's what he is, then that's what we'll become. And last but least, and I'll wrap this up, long-suffering. This long-suffering is actually talking about being patient. Being patient with your spouse, being patient with your children. It's not always easy to be patient, You know, they say if you pray for patience, guess what? God will give you more to be patient about. What is God calling you to be patient about? Here's the thing. With every one of these um, 
characteristics. You see, some of these even line up with the fruits of the Spirit, of clothing yourself with these things. There's a struggle for every one of us in which we need to make the decision to clothe ourselves. So next week, we'll continue on number three and with the rest of this series of Family Matters. Listen, you matter to God. Your family, it matters to God. You say, but man, I made a mess. It matters to God. But I don't know if there's really anything that, how's this going to work out? Your family matters to God. And the prayers of a righteous man or woman, they avail much. Keep praying. Keep pursuing. Your family is worth it. Amen? Your family is worth it. Men, don't give up. Your family is worth it. Ladies, don't give up. Your family is worth it. Amen? It is worth it. Your family matters. And it matters even more today. We need stronger families. We need families that love Jesus, that is focused on him. Your family matters. And don't let the devil tell you any different. Because it matters. You say, but our family's broken. But he heals. Amen? It doesn't matter. Your family still matters. The devil may try to make you think, well, you've been divorced, or this or that. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It matters to God. And he loves you. And we care for you. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our families. They're not perfect. Not a one of them. And you show grace and mercy to our families. That as we lead our families as men and women of God, we make mistakes. But in your word, you tell us if we seek for wisdom, you lead us and you guide us. That when we mess up, you show grace and mercy to all who will come before your throne of grace. And that you offer it. May we not be too prideful to come before you asking for help. God, we need help in our families. We need help in our marriages. None of us have all the answers. None of us have it all figured out. And Lord, no doubt, maybe someone's watching or someone's here and they're trying to figure some things out in their marriage right now. And while I don't always know exactly what advice to give them in every situation. I know that you know our marriages better than we know them ourselves. And God, you desire, you desire for us to keep our focus on you. And as we keep our commitment focused on you, it ends up lining everything else up in the correct order, in the correct way. And I pray that we do that this morning. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your direction. Be with us as we go through this series, that we're challenged and we're helped. And then we're reminded that your Holy Spirit, which is given to every single believer, will help us in our struggles. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.